0: Much. If you would take your Bibles, we're going to turn to an interesting passage of Scripture this morning, Matthew chapter ten. Matthew chapter ten, and uh, thank you, choir. And uh, I'd like to uh, just encourage you uh, that uh, these transition times are great times to jump in. Uh, our choir and orchestra—you'll uh, see, won't see them next week as we have vacation Bible school set up and all those things. But we encourage you. To be a part of our, our music ministry, it is a great way to serve. You know, I, re, I, I quoted that verse, and then you heard it in this song, a verse that really gives me some, some struggles as a Christian. Uh, it says in 2 Corinthians that if any man is in Christ, and that's me, I'm a man, and I'm in Christ, I'm a Christian. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. And, and what's, what's the, here's the problem with that verse is I see these verses that tell me that I'm born again. I see these verses that tell me I'm a new creature, but sometimes I act like the old guy. And and then I see other verses, other verses where Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. So where are we? Where are we if we? If we have been made new, and we're new creatures, and yet... We're gonna. We're being made new, and we're struggling in this life. And there's there's sin, and there's still the brokenness, and and sometimes the things that that challenge you and challenge me. Where are we? Are we new? Or are we not new? Well, I'll tell you where we are. We're smack dab, living life. Where, in the middle. Y'all ever see this show? I'm not recommending this show, but I I saw this as I was just I was talking. Uh, uh, looking and studying this idea of being in the middle, and this popped up. And, and it's, it's, a, it's called The Middle. It's a show, TV show. And it's, it's run nine seasons. It's a very popular show. And the reason I think it's probably popular is because this is a middle-class family in the middle of the country. And they're, they're average people, average kids. Nobody there is above average. They're all just smack dab in the middle. And sometimes that's how life is for me. And I know it's how life is for you. Now, you're going to think I'm a weird preacher when I tell you this, but I I was walking my dog this morning, as I normally do, and I saw an earthworm in the middle of the road. You ever see an earthworm in the middle of the road? What do you wonder? How did you get there, number one, and why are you there? You know what the earthworm said in the middle of the road? Life is hard. You can use that somewhere else if you want. For the earthworm... Life is hard in the middle of the road. He knows where I came from and I know where I'm going. But right now, life's kind of hard in the middle of the road. And it can get hard. Guess where your marriage is? Your marriage is in the middle. You're living life in the middle. What does that mean? I think that's an important perspective. We have been made new. We are born again, but we're not completed in, in the sense that the sin has left our lives. The sin has left the world. We know that Christ is coming. We are like that song says. We're moving forward. We're journeying through this life. And we are, we are right there in the middle. But Christ expects us and, and calls us to a particular kind of life in the middle. But the reason that I want to do this is because what really makes being single tough and being married tough are bad expectations. Wrong expectations. Because some of you are expecting to experience the joy of the full joy of heaven still living life in the middle. And we and we sometimes expect from our mates or expect from getting married one day. If we get married, whether we're singles or we're married, we expect uh, far too much out of life in the middle. And so I want to help with Christ's uh, word out of Matthew. I want us to gain better perspective to help our families because family, family matters to God. And when we live in the middle, we can get frustrated. It can be a source of great frustration. Absolutely, no relationship is without issues. No vacation is free from all work. Have you noticed that? No work is free from any struggles. But listen, if we could get the right perspective about life in the middle. We, it can be a great source of freedom. If we can free ourselves from improper expectations, uh, then, then we will find more joy in those moments of sweet fellowship, in those moments of victory, in those moments where we in, enjoy the, the relationships and enjoy our work and all those things. And so let's talk about expectations. And to do that, I want to shock you. And this is Jesus' desire in Matthew uh, chapter 10. It is to shock you. He was trying to shock his listeners. Listen to what he says in verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now let's just stop right there. Does that sound strange to you? He is the prince of what? He said, I've come to give you peace. Peace I live with you. I'll leave peace with you. And then he looks and he says, Do not think I've come to bring peace. Which is it? He's in the middle. Which is it? Do we have peace or not peace? He says, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father. What? And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. How many of you here love your mother-in-law? Just raise your hand because she's sitting right next to you, all right? You love your mother-in-law. I love my mom. You know what I got texted over there? I love my mom. She said, fix your coat. I love that. Praise Jesus for my mom who loves me. None of you texted me that, but my mom texted me, fix your coat. And a person's enemies, verse 36, will be those of his own household. What? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I thought family mattered to God. This sounds awfully strange. Let me read Luke 14, a little little stronger version. Now, great crowds accompanied Jesus. He had great bunches of people who were fascinated and they wanted his miracles. They wanted the free food, all the things that Jesus was offering. He turns to them and he says something very encouraging. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters... He cannot be my disciple. Now, before you go into a panic, let me tell you what this is. This is a mashal, a Hebrew word. And it was a a common way for a rabbi, for a teacher, to shock his listeners. To get them a new perspective. He's trying to shape their perspective. And notice this, he's going to try to shape our perspective on Relationships on earth, on our family relationships, He's trying to shape them not so that we hate our family, not not to make our family life miserable, not to make our marriage miserable. It's not that Jesus is so uh, egomaniacal that He wants all the attention, and He wants you to just. That's obviously not what He's saying because He says different things in other places. What He is trying to do is give you perspective on your family so that you can have a better family. He wants to give you perspective on your marriage and potential marriage or your singleness. He wants to give you a right perspective on that so that you can enjoy it even more. So that you can live it the way it is meant to be lived. And so let's look at this look at this and break it down just a little bit and think about. It. So has he got your attention? He does. What does he mean? I thought, I thought God was for families, that family matters. What's he telling me? That to follow him, it's going to divide families. I thought he wanted peace in my marriage, peace with my kids. And yet he says, I'm not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me give you just a few things. Here's the, here's, here's, here's the things that he brings out of this passage. The first thing that he brings out is that there, there must be, and there There is, there has to be some problem that is so great in this world that it is more important that Jesus fix that problem than that you have a peaceful, happy family. He says, I have come, and there is something I've got to do that is of such critical importance that if you will embrace it, it is worth sacrificing the peace in your own home. I don't know about you, but that's, that's probably number one thing. I mean, if things are good at home, you can just about do you know, what you need to in the world, right? Man, I want peace in my house, peace with my teenagers. You know, all of that kind of stuff. Isn't that, wouldn't it be wonderful? I want that kind of peace. And yet Jesus says there's something more important than that peace. He says, there is a problem I can only fix. There is a problem that only I can fix. And that problem to fix it may require, may require you to take a stand for me that would bring division into your household and maybe even in division into your world, division into your life. But that's okay because there is something even more important than your family. I know that's hard to believe. Can let's, let's just say that together. There is something more important. Say that. Than my family. Is that hard to say? And in reality, most people don't live that way. Most people put marriage and family and their children in the place that only Jesus can be. And I, for one, have been guilty of that. And if you're honest, you've probably been guilty of that. And if you're a single and you're thinking about being married married, you know sometimes you have put the idea of marriage in the place of Jesus. Or maybe your your single life is because you have put yourself there And you love your independence. And you're not willing to give that up for anybody. And so really this is a message on idolatry. This is what Jesus turns to all of these folks and he says, listen. He says, I know you like the idea of me. But there is a huge problem in this world. And I love you and I keep feeding you this bread and I keep healing your diseases. But you're going to die well fed and healed of your diseases. You'll die and spend eternity separated from your God. So I'm going to come and I'm going to fix a problem that only I can fix. Here's the two problems. The world has fallen, church, and it can't get up. It has fallen. Your marriage is in the middle of a fallen world. You're searching for a mate. In the middle of a fallen world. We are helplessly broken. We're alive. But stranded in the inability to change and be set free from spiritual death. There is a huge problem. Somebody out here probably can't believe they were suddenly laid off. After years of faithful service. Maybe someone in here never thought he'd be dealing with the things he's facing with his son or with his daughter. You never dreamed that, that you would face that. Maybe there's a mom here that feels like you are absolutely a prisoner in your own home. You're a slave to your family. And that wasn't what you signed up for. Maybe you're struggling with the responses that you're getting from people and the choices that you've made. Any of you kind of wonder why it gets so hard? Because you live in a fallen world. And Jesus said this, the thief, Satan, has come to steal, kill, and destroy He says, I have come that they may have, what, life and have it abundantly. So evidently, Jesus doesn't lie and he doesn't contradict himself. He says, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly, but what I've come to do might bring division in your home. And it is going to require, is going to require you to love me more than then you could even love your family and you are designed in your body to love nothing more than those kids right and to protect those kids and you love those kids and Jesus says i know you're going to have to go against your natural response but trust me i've come to give you life and give it life give you life abundantly the thief wants you to put something else on the idol good things on the throne he wants you to do that if he does You will maybe have a great family life and there won't be any division and you might have peace until the end but he will destroy you for eternity. There's a problem only Jesus could fix. So what's Jesus doing? He's giving us perspective. You say, I thought you were preaching about marriage. I am preaching about marriage. Because your marriage is in the middle of a broken world. And when we gain the right perspective, it will transform how we view our mates and view our kids and view our marriage. And if we love Jesus and put Him in the proper place, we will be able to love our families far more and give them something that we could never give them without Jesus. Second thing, you need to understand this. Everyone... I mean everyone. Planet Earth has heart trouble. Heart trouble. Some of you say, I got real heart trouble. Don't make fun of that. No, I'm telling you, spiritual heart trouble, we all have it. We are spiritually broken. You say, I thought he has made everything new. He has. You have a brand new born-again spirit with which you commune with God, but it is still connected to a sin-broken flesh that you will battle. And so you're like that earthworm trying to make it across, and there are things that are still harm. And you know, I'm designed for the earth, I'm designed for what God is, is, is bringing. But right now, life is pretty hard. And so you're, you're, you're living between already and not yet. And this life in the middle is what brings the challenges to your marriage, the challenges to your child rearing and to your families. And because we all have spiritual heart trouble, here's what we do. We make idols out of things, out of people, out of relationships. We make idols out of marriage. We'll make idols out of singleness and availability and uh, freedom. And it it just kind of depends on what culture you're in. But if you don't put Christ in the first place, you end up putting something else there. You'll put your children there. You'll put your marriage there. You'll put having a a, a big, you'll having a legacy of descendants. And uh, you are setting yourselves up with these false expectations. And ultimately, we're seeking what only Christ can give. And that's what he's trying to shake these folks up to see. You want happiness. You want faith fulfillment, you know you just don't quite have it and you're looking for it in those people you love most and you're hoping they'll give you that and Jesus says no this is going to strike you as a little bit strange it come out, comes out of Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage he quotes a, 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 a university professor named Stanley Hauerwas and you, but I think it's true, so follow me on this Destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions for personal fulfillment, necessary for us to be whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough or maybe try several, we will find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry, we just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. <laughs> For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we have even entered it. The primary problem is, and I'd let Sarah get up here and give you a word of testimony on that. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. And some of you would push back on that. But let me explain what it is. What, what this means is that all of us are sin broken. All of us are covering up to a certain degree. And then we enter into marriage and it just kind of, it unveils those things and then brings in more things. And so if you're looking for Mr. Right, Jesus says, I'm the only Mr. Right. Choose me. And I will give you the strength and the ability to live with whatever Mr. Wrong you find. (laughs) Say amen if I'm making any sense. Right? Now certainly I believe that Sarah's the one God designed for me. And I'm glad I found her and we found her. But I hope you understand the point. This perspective I think helps more than anything. I think it helps free up a marriage to understand we're... In fact, the Bible teaches I'm only married in the middle. Did you know when I get to heaven, I'm not married to Sarah anymore? There is no marriage in heaven. Who said that? Jesus. Some of you are thinking, wow, great news. (laughs) Don't get so excited. And your kids, man, they belong to Jesus when you get to heaven. We're only married in the middle. And we never marry Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Because we're never Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Now, is that an excuse to go out and marry an unbeliever? Is that an excuse to just let somebody physically abuse you? Don't take this too far. There, there are limits and there is common sense and there are spiritual guidelines to help you find a godly mate. And I think you work through those spiritual life guidelines and you pray hard and you make that covenant of marriage very seriously. So I'm not saying that. You look for Mr. Right, but you understand Mr. Right is actually who? Mr. Wrong. Because he is sin broken. Now if he's a follower of Christ and born again, that's what you need. But he's still going to carry some of those struggles into that marriage. Why would I say that? Why would Jesus shake us up this way to get our expectations right so that our marriage and our family can be better? So that we go into a marriage as a single who's who understands the reality of this world and the reality of human beings. Let me move on. We've all got heart trouble. But truth claim number two. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, Jesus says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That is such a challenging verse because it just it rattles my cage. You know, I, I watched my daughter dance ballet last night at her recital. And you just think, can you love anything more than that? Right? And Jesus is shaking me up to say, you know, what's best for that sweet daughter of yours is that you not love her idolatrously, but that you put her in right order with me. You love me most. That's the most loving thing you can do for her. If you really love her, You'll love me most. And our heart kind of resists that. Why? Because I can see her, I can touch her, I can hug her. I get immediate response. Oh, by the way, I love my sons too, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> love them the same. I get immediate. And Jesus, though, I won't, I can't touch him. But he says. This is the faith. This is the faith. You worship vertically. Vertically first. Horizontally second. Jesus is giving us perspective. He says you're going to have horizontal issues at work, at home, with with neighbors, with, with wives, with kids. You have no horizontal hope if you don't worship vertically first. You see, there is is a place only Jesus should sit. That is on the throne of your life. Let me just ask you this. You all know the Ten Commandments? Those Ten Commandments are set up in in a very particular order. The first four commandments are how we relate to who? God. The rest of the commandments are how we relate to other people. Vertical first, horizontal what? Second. Vertical first, horizontal second. They kept asking Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love your sweet kids with all your heart, soul. I'm looking at you sweet kids. We love you. But you understand the best way to love you is to love Jesus first. And Jesus said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then turn horizontal. Marriages are dissolving. Singles are, are not being able to find godly Mates, or they're, they're losing perspective. And why? Because our hearts are idle factories. And we place marriage on the pedestal, or we place our own needs on the pedestal, or our kids, we put them on the pedestal. And Jesus is shaking these folks up and says, Don't follow me, it's not worth it for you. Because if you don't put me first, if you don't worship God alone, the horizontal doesn't ultimately matter. Here's what he's saying. If you turn horizontal and make your marriage and family everything, you will have your family until the middle is over and then that's it. But if you will put me first, I'm going to give you something, the ability to be a part of a family that lasts far beyond the middle all the way to eternity. I'm going to give you a forever family and I'm going to give you a perfect marriage. Really? Guess who I get to marry when I get to heaven? The right man. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? The church, all of us corporately, are in essence the bride of Christ and he will forever Fulfill our hearts with his presence and perfectness, and we will be filled with joy forever and ever. And we will look back on this hard road, like the earthworm crossing. We'll, we'll look back to the middle and we'll think, Thank you, God, for helping me come to understand this and help and helping me see how you work through uh, my marriage and my kids and all those challenges of life to teach me so much. But now, Now we, your church, are your bride forever and ever. He's going to give you the absolute perfect marriage. And here's why I say this. That understanding frees me up to look at my earthly marriage in the right perspective. My ultimate happiness doesn't have to come from Sarah. And praise Jesus, her ultimate happiness does not have to come from me. We can look each other as two heirs of Christ's grace, forgiven for our sinfulness, joined together, called together by God on this journey to help, soften one another up and point each other up towards God first. And as we worship God together, He brings grace and peace and forgiveness and mercy into our horizontal relationships. And so that perspective can set us free even though it's shocking to hear when we worship God watch this if you worship God you love God I'm going to close with this you worship God as a divine creator you know what you like if you worship Him as creator you're going to love His handiwork you're going to like His artwork guess who you're married to a piece of art. The handiwork of God. <laughs> and <you laughs> I'm serious. And you say, if, if all you do is look horizontally at your mate, and you never look vertically, you will not appreciate that husband or wife for who they are. They bear the image of God. In all of their flaws, they have been crafted by God. They are the handiwork of God. And if you go vertical first, He will fill your heart with an appreciation for His creation, even though it's broken and marred with sin, even though those kids come out and they turn rebellious on you. You you worship Him as Creator. You'll celebrate His handiwork. If you worship Him as the sovereign author of life, if you worship God first... And you understand and say, God, and you're worshiping Him. And you say, God, I know that everything is part of your plan. The cancer, the job loss, the mistreatment all the things that kind of come apart, we know it all is working together for good. If you spend your time vertically and you are settled in your heart through worshiping God, that He is the author of the sovereign plan of life, then how he, then you won't resist and struggle so much with the way He writes your story. The way He writes your husband's story, your wife's story, your kid's story. And some of those stories take a terrible turn or some rough ups and downs. That's one of the things I loved about Sarah that she had such a different story growing up than I did. And I was just fascinated by her story with non-Christian parents, adopted, just a totally different story. But I believed that God wrote her story the way, she did, the way he did, wrote her story, and wrote my story, born in a Baptist church, went all the time, became a Christian early. He wove our stories together. And you know those stories make us a good partnership, but they also create some challenges, right? But we trust God has authored this because he's sovereign. He's authoring the lives of our kids. So I'm going to trust Him with that. Does that perspective free you up just a little bit? How? Because you have turned vertical first, horizontal second. If you worship God, get this final one. If you worship God as your merciful Savior, you are happy to forgive and love sinners. Like you. It doesn't take long to realize. When you get married. You've married a sinner. It doesn't take long for them to realize they've married one too. You will only respond in a way that is right and good and helpful to your spouse's sin, weakness and struggle. When you yourself are celebrating the transforming grace of an ever-present, always-faithful Redeemer. And the more you turn vertical and you understand the grace and forgiveness He's given you, the more you can offer that to the sinners He put in your family with you. You see how that works? So Jesus says, there's a problem only I can fix. And if you don't let me in and embrace the gospel and trust me, you might have a family and you might make it through this life okay and you might have some fun and happiness and all of that, but it, at, the, at the edge of the road, at the end of this life, that's it. If you'll put me first place, if you'll trust me as a creator, the author, and the merciful Savior, if you'll trust me, I'll give you a family that will last forever. And I'll give you a marriage that will never ever disappoint. Let's pray together. I want you right now just for a, a few quiet moments to look on that throne of your heart. What's first place? What's first place? Jesus said, I, I, I can only fix the ultimate problems. And I, I alone, I'm God. I, I have to have first place. Not for my benefit, but for yours. And here's what he said, church. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Maybe some of you here this morning have never... Turn from yourself and from your sin and turn to Jesus. Maybe it's all been you, focused on you. Christ comes to you and he wants to give you real life and give you eternal life and victory. Would you, you're going to have to let go of self and turn from sin. And receive him as your Lord. Just like that young man said on the video today. He realized that Jesus had not been leading in his life, guiding his life. It was just rather a a factual thing in his mind. But it became real when he surrendered his heart and life to Christ. Some of you this morning need to surrender your heart and life vertically. To fix your marriage, and your life horizontally. But you've got to start vertically today. When we sing in just a moment, I invite us to respond. You can pray. You can come to the altar. If you need to give your heart and life to Christ, I invite you right now just to open up and pray. Ask Him to come in and forgive you of your sin and to have first place. Ask Him to say, take first place. I worship you and love you most. And some of us need to look and say, God, help me take my marriage or my children or my money or whatever it is that's first place and put it to the side where it can be better off when I worship Jesus. Father, I pray that we've heard this message and that you are using it from your word to challenge our lives to put Jesus first. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.